Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for teaching us out of your word that uh, you didn't leave us without um, giving us really a a taste of what happened during the days when when you, Jesus, walked on earth, as well as all those um, many centuries beforehand that led up to that time. And so we pray that as we Look into your word that your Holy Spirit would be working through us and teaching us and helping us to uh, draw closer to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we are uh, at the end of looking at the life of Jesus for, for this round. So we started at Christmas and we ended at Easter and this is the wrap up after Easter. And um, really the culmination of not just the Christian calendar but really of the of world history is all focused on that Easter Sunday way back when when Jesus rose from the dead which we celebrated and remembered last week and so this week is after that time right after the resurrection and um I don't know if you've ever been at a a big event with a big-name speaker like right now. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But have you ever been at a big event where somebody really famous is up there and thought, wouldn't it be cool if after they finished speaking, they got off the stage and came and looked for me and just made their way right to me? Maybe that has happened to you. It's never happened to me, but maybe that's happened to you. And you've just been picked out of the crowd as the person that that person wanted to talk to. And how that would make you feel. And really, that's the picture of this morning. We're going to be looking at John 21, which is after the resurrection. And so think about this. The biggest event that has ever, ever happened in all world history just happened, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All world history revolves around this one event. And it's just shortly after that, before Jesus has ascended into heaven, he spent 40 days um, with the disciples, but not always with them. And so he's appeared to them. This will be the third time that he's appeared to them as a group. And um, to think what that would feel like. Here they finally now, like they've been with Jesus all along, and then at the crucifixion, he was separated from them, and they weren't with him from that point on. Three days after the crucifixion, it's really, it's the, the well, it is the resurrection, but they're told that here is the resurrection, and this is all new for them, and they're still getting adjusted to the whole idea of the resurrected Christ. So he's not, it's not like he's with them like he was before 
the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now he's sometimes there and sometimes not. He's only been there a couple of times with them in very short periods of time, it would seem. And so now he's, um, he's, we're going to open up on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had told Mary to tell the disciples to go to Galilee and to wait for him there. And so they've gone up from, um, they've left Jerusalem, and they've gone north back up to the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And they're up there. And I just think of Peter. And Peter has really kept in the background, which is not like Peter. So Peter has, since um, the crucifixion, we had the denial of uh, Jesus. And so at the crucifixion, just think about this, what this would have been like. Was Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, one could say his closest friend, um, and he said all kinds of things. He, part of Peter's problem is he says stuff and he doesn't have the ability to follow through. You ever been around somebody like that? They say they'll do something, but they don't actually do it. It's not because they don't want to. They don't actually have the ability to do it. And that actually was Peter's situation. It's not like he didn't want to be faithful. He actually didn't have the ability to be faithful. So he said things like um, when Jesus was talking and um, he says, you know, he's, he looked at them as, as these disciples are leaving. These were just general followers, not the 12. But they're leaving and Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, well, I, others may leave you, but I, I will never leave you. And I think he really meant it. I think he really meant it. But I think Jesus knew what would really happen. And another time um, when Jesus was talking about riches and the, the deception of riches, how they will deceive us into thinking all is good and all is fine. And Peter says, I would never be deceived by riches. He says, I'm not deceived. I've left everything to follow you. So I'm not hanging on to worldly goods because I've left it all behind. I left my fishing nets, I left my boat, I left everything to follow after you. And so he says, others might be deceived, not me. And then right towards the end, when Jesus is telling them, this is on the last night, the night that he's betrayed, and he's saying you know, that he's going to be going away and they can't follow him. And Peter says, that's ridiculous. I'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I'm following you. I'm right behind you. And that's when Jesus turned to Peter and said, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And so these are the things that are echoing in Peter's mind because it was true. Before the next morning, he had denied the Lord three times. He had denied the Lord, not in front of crowds of people that were going to murder him. It was a servant girl at the gate where really nobody else could hear. And she said, weren't you one of them that was following him? And he said, no, not me. He now is filled with fear because this servant girl has said something to him about being a follower. You know, when he was in the garden, that night, that same night, he was full of bravery. And when Jesus had been, uh, you know, the guard had come to take Jesus away, 
Peter had acted so bravely when Jesus was there and he pulled out the sword of one of the, the guards there and he lopped off the ear of Malchus that Jesus then healed. And Jesus said, no, we're not doing it that way. Put away your sword. But Peter was full of bravery then. There was no way that anybody was just going to take his Lord without him doing something because he was one of the strong, brave ones. And he was going to stand forward. And so we see that um, what was once a brave Peter, as long as he was with the Lord, was not so brave when the Lord was being tried in that mock trial. And he was talking to the servant girl. And that night, it happened three times. And three times when he was, oh, you're one of them. He said, no, I never, ever even knew him, is what Peter said. And then the rooster crowed. Wouldn't you hate that sound if that had been you? You would never be able to hear a rooster crowing again without remembering that you had denied the Lord. And when that rooster crowed, it says that he left and he wept bitterly. This is a man who wanted to do the right thing, but he wasn't able to. And so our question is, how come he wanted to? How come he couldn't do the right thing? How come he denied the Lord? He, it's not like he didn't want to. It's not like he didn't love the Lord. He did. But something went very wrong for him. And I think that John 21 is our key for understanding what went wrong. But I think, um, for me, it gives us hope. Because maybe this might be us. Maybe we might identify with Peter. Maybe there's been a time where we have denied the Lord, where we should have stood up and we didn't. And instead, in front of even not a very threatening situation, we said, oh no, you know, I'm not like that. I'm not a Christian. Or maybe some other Christian was having a hard time and we kind of walked away because we didn't want to be associated with them. And we deny. Or maybe we can identify with one of the others, like maybe Thomas, who always had to have things proven to him. Unless I see it, I won't believe it. And maybe we're kind of like that, or, or maybe we're like Judas and um, actually betray the Lord. You know, there was hope for Judas. There was hope for Judas until he hung himself. So there's always hope. There's always a chance to repent, always with the Lord, until our life is over. And so with the Lord, um, he's always calling us. But Peter, he was greatly distressed at how he was. And I think that's why he kind of stayed in the background. When they ran to the tomb, remember he, he um, got to the tomb and he stopped and it was John that ran in. And, you know, Peter was a little bit slower on the uptake on that one. And we don't really see Peter again. Even though he witnesses the empty tomb, it's not like he goes back and s proclaims it. The Lord is risen. The, the women did, but Peter, he didn't. He still stayed in the shadows. And so he, I think he was really quite done in by his denial. And so um, that bravery that stood him so well as a fisherman, that stood him so well as being a leader amongst the other disciples, was not there when it came down to the real test. Why didn't it? Why wasn't his love adequate? Why didn't it overcome? 
and so um, you know maybe we've been incredibly disappointed in ourselves and I think this is where Peter is like he's way down here at the bottom and the Lord now is going to redeem that and so we open up our story here um, at chapter 21 and it says that after these things so this is you know after the resurrection Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. So there were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, and two others of his disciples. Personally, I think that's probably Philip and Andrew because the similar list is at the beginning of the gospel. And so we have the same list here at the end of the gospel. But it doesn't tell us. So the, these seven, and as uh, I've heard it said, the seven troublemakers, <laughs> they're all gathered. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Seasoned fishermen, and they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking... What happens when the day breaks in a rural area like this? What do you hear? You hear a rooster. And I kind of wonder if maybe a rooster crowed at that point. And so when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And that word for know there is, is Ido, that they didn't um, comprehend like they could see him but they didn't comprehend who he was. And this happened quite a bit in the post-resurrection appearances. So it would seem that he physically looks different, you know, once they clue in, then they see it, but not right away. And I think it kind of gives us a little bit of a hint of what it's going to be like when we're in our resurrected bodies. And so um, they, they don't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus therefore said to them, children, and he's calling out to them because they're in the boat, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will catch a fish. <laughs> and they cast, therefore, and they, then they were not able to haul it in because the great number of fish. So there were so many fish, they couldn't even bring the net in, just on the other side of the boat. Now, I've been fishing lots with Arnie. Mostly I like to read which he hates when I read in the boat instead of fish, because <laughs> I'm supposed to fish, but he fishes. And I haven't really noticed that he throws the line in on one side and doesn't catch anything and changes it to the other side of the boat and then catches so many that he can't keep up with it. doesn't work that way. So obviously this is a miracle of Jesus. And you know who notices? John. It's John. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, which is, we learn later, um, sort of a, a euphemism for John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So it's John who's, who first kind of clues in. And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. I love this relationship between John and Peter. And John really spends most of his gospel writing about Peter, of course, about Jesus. But how Peter interacts with Jesus. And he contrasts it with how Judas interacts with Jesus, with Jesus. And so we see this huge contrast between the true believer, Peter, and the unbeliever, Judas, the one who betrayed. And even though Peter denied, 
We're going to see him used as an example of a true believer. And so um, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped um, for work. So in other words, he's just got basically his shorts on, and he puts his his, uh, shirt on as well, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat. So they had the big fishing boat out there, and then they had the little boat that can get into shore. The big boat can't get into shore. For they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Jesus already has breakfast ready, but he invites them to bring what they have as well. And I think that's how the Lord works with us. Like the Lord can do all this work he does without our help, but he invites us in to help out, which is just like a little kid wanting to cook with us. It's like, just stay there. It's way easier not to have your help. But the one who really loves that little one and wants to teach that little one invites them in to cook alongside. And now supper takes an hour longer than it otherwise would. And so Jesus tells him, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So we see these other guys just struggling to pull this net up, and big strong Peter comes up, and he grabs the net, and he just yanks that whole thing up onto shore. And uh, again, it reminds me of Arnie, how often I'm trying to do something, and Arnie comes in, and he just so quickly can do it. And so we see that in Peter, the strength that he has. So he's a big and strong and boisterous kind of man. And so he goes up, and um, he's not sort of the tender kind of men that you would assume would be disciples. He's, he's not like that at all. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. So there's kind of this dead silence, it would seem, amongst the group, as they, they know what they've been through. And here's the Lord appearing to just them. This isn't the crowds, it's not the multitudes, this amazing son of God who just rose from the dead, who just did the biggest event in world history, now comes and he just wants to have breakfast with these guys. And so they're all just kind of sitting around and, and not really talking. They know it's the Lord. They're not asking him a pile of questions like they usually do. And they're just having breakfast with him. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave them and the fish likewise. Now, if I were them, and it were me sitting there, I would think of two things. I would immediately think of the feeding of 5,000, or the feeding of the 4,000. Twice, Jesus fed, you know, these large crowds with just bread and fish. And I would think about the miracles that he had performed, and use these disciples, and the abundance that was left over afterwards, just like There's the abundance of the fish in the net, so the abundance of the Lord. And the other thing that I think I would think of would be the last time that we had dinner together at the Last Supper, when Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup 
and he had them drink from it, and he drank from it, and he says, this is my blood shed for you, and that he wouldn't drink from the cup again until he shared it with them in his kingdom. And so we don't see um, that part here. But we do see the bread being broken, and he gives it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples, or to the group of the disciples, after he was raised from the dead. So, then when they had finished breakfast, and now we're going to come down to it, Jesus said just to Simon Peter, now he centered him out, and he's talking just to Simon Peter, and he says to him, Simon, son of John, he doesn't call him Peter here, but he calls him Simon, because that's how Peter's thinking. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I just want us to look at that for a few minutes. And we've, I'm sure that you've heard this taught on before or for sure have thought about it before and thought about the three times that Jesus asked if, if Peter loved him. And um, Jesus uses a different word than what Peter uses. So we, we have this word love, and we mean all kinds of things by love. I love chocolate cake. I love my husband. And I love my kids. I love coming home from work and seeing those mountains. And I love this, and I love that, and... The other word that we use a lot is hate. Oh, I hate that. And we do not have a very extensive vocabulary to fit all this stuff. And the Greeks had four words for love. They had agape, phileo, um, storge, and eros. And storge and eros don't appear in the Bible. But phileo and agape do in many different forms, and it means different things. Uh, depending on the form that's used. But these are the two main ones. And agape, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, that agape was um, a word in the Greek language that wasn't used very often. And we really don't see that word used in Greek literature until we see it in the Greek Bible. It was used in the Greek Bible. And so when the scriptures were written, this is the word that they chose to put in here, agape. And agape love is the love that God has for mankind. It's the love that, um, in spite of what mankind has been like, God loves mankind. And Jesus came and laid down his life at the cross. He gave it up freely. It wasn't taken from him. They did not kill him, although they tried. He actually gave up his life. It says that he gave up his spirit. And so... Um, Death would not have conquered him. It was Jesus who decided to conquer death. 
And so he died by his own choice, by his own volition. So we see that Jesus um, uses this word agape because that's the word that is the love of God for us when he laid down his life for us. What about phileo? Phileo is used quite a bit in this scripture, and we're going to look at which one's which when we go through it again. But phileo is more of a, we call it a brotherly love, Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love. So we think of it as, you know, just sort of a companionship love, but it actually means a lot more than that in the scripture. Phileo is this like, oh, you know, I actually really love you. This would be the love that we have for one another for the most part. You know, we just really like to be together. We enjoy each other's company. When we think of doing something with a friend, this is who we think about. That's a phileo love. Um, a phileo love is necessary in a marriage as well. Not just agape love, but phileo love is really needed to have a good, strong relationship on both sides. And so this phileo love is um, it's, it's a wonderful love. It's, it's not a secondary love. It's a wonderful love that God gives to us. And we've been um, studying First John in our Bible study, and... Uh, I started to really, I've really been struggling and thinking and, and turning over in my mind and praying about this agape love because we're told to have, you know, to love the brethren and sometimes it's agape, usually it's agape in First John and it's very, very different. So agape love is a different kind of love than phileo, but both of them are strong, both of them are a great tremendous love so we're not to think of them as this is agape and this is phileo they're different and they're both important and listen to what jesus says and i'll use agape or phileo depending on what it says here in the scripture so when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you agape me more than these so will you lay down your life for me, that kind of love? Do you have that love for mankind kind of love more than these? And um, there's been different views on what, who these are that Jesus was referring to. Some thought it was, you know, his fishing and his work. I actually would agree with A.T. Robertson, who is, you know, noted major Greek scholar from the last century. He felt that it's... Um, a, div a division, a contrast that's used throughout uh, the Gospel of John. And he, Jesus is contrasting the other disciples with Peter. And so he's, he's not saying to Peter, do you love me more than these? But do you think you love me more than these other people love me? Do you think you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because that's what Peter said all the time. right? He said it three times, and probably more. Three times that are recorded, he says, ugh. They'll leave you, but not me. You know, they won't be so faithful, but I am. Well, they probably will go back to their, you know, lifestyle. Not me. Like, he kept contrasting himself with the other disciples. And so Jesus says, do you think you love me more than these? Like, would you lay down your life like you said you would more than these? And Peter um, answers him, yes, Lord. But the weird thing is he changes the word. He says, you know, you intuitively know, you I don't know, 
that I love you, that I phileo you. Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. So why did he change the word? Let's see. He said to him, then tend my lambs, which is tend is uh, another way of saying shepherd. And so Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he said to him, Peter said to the Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I have this strong love for you, Lord. I love you. But you know what? When it comes to agape, I did not lay down my life for you. I can't lay claim to agape. I ran away. I denied you three times. I had the opportunity to identify with you in a very difficult circumstance, and I did not. So when you ask me if I agape you, if I would lay down my life for you, you know, I just, I love you. But I don't lay down my life for you. I wish I had of. If I could go back and do it all over, I would do it differently. But I can't. And now I know I can't. I have not got it in me to do this for you. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've thought, yeah, I've got this much for Jesus, but the whole nine yards? I don't think so. And Peter, he tells the truth here. He can't. And he, Jesus says to Peter, shepherd my sheep. So Jesus is still giving him this huge role in spite of the fact that Peter is saying, I don't think I can lay down my life for you. I tried before. I didn't do it. So I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want to lay claim to that. I've made that mistake many times where I've boasted that I could when I couldn't. And so I'm keeping my mouth shut. But Lord, I just love you. I have a strong phileo for you. More than any of my other friends, you're at the top. I'd do anything for you, but, you know, this agape thing, I don't have it. And Jesus says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here Jesus says, do you phileo me? Jesus changes it. He, he doesn't keep forcing Peter to say agape. What he's trying to help Peter see is Peter can't agape. That's the whole problem. He wants to, but it's not in him to be able to do it. But he has this great love for the Lord. Even though he denied the Lord, he still loves the Lord. And the Lord is giving him opportunity to redeem that denial. The denial of three times, the I love you three times. And he says to Peter, do you phileo me? Do you have that strong love for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know. And this time it's gnosko. It's not ido. It's gnosko. You know from all the things that have happened, you know that I love you, that I phileo you. And Jesus says to him the third time, tend my sheep. I love this story. And I didn't really fully understand it, I don't think, and I'm sure I haven't yet fully understood it because there's a lot to this story. But this is something I haven't thought of before because Peter 
can't say agape, because now, like, you know, all of the phoniness, all of the what he thought he could do, all of the boasting is stripped away. And here is Peter in a very raw state. He has just denied the Lord, and the Lord died on the cross. And now the Lord has come back just like he said he would. And he's asking Peter directly, just one-on-one, -on -one, Peter, do you love me? And I think Peter just wanted to stay in the shadows. I don't think he was wanting to be centered out. He was out fishing. It was the Lord who came to the shore. And him, when Peter jumped out of the water and sw or into the water and swam to meet the Lord, indicated his great phileo for him, but then when he gets there, he's kind of tongue-tied. And he can't say he agape. He's not going to say it because he knows it's not true. And so he won't say it. But he still loves the Lord. I think this is where a lot of us are at, where we really re want to love the Lord. We really do. But will we lay down our life for him? Well, that's a different story. Will we say things in front of others without feeling like, oh, you know, I don't want them to really know how strong I believe this. I'll say a little bit, but I don't want to say a lot. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to be centered out. And then maybe all sorts of other things. And how do those Christians do it in those countries where they lose their lives in order to follow Jesus? Would I do that? Not so sure. I have never been put to that test. And so Peter is like that. And he's seen this. But listen to what the Lord tells him. The Lord doesn't leave it at that. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, i.e. all this past three years even, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, like you were that kind of a guy, Peter. You just were strong, you were bold, you were brave, and you just went wherever you wished, and you decided yourself. But when you grow old, so now he's talking in Peter's future, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And John is explaining this to us in this gospel, that Jesus is talking about Peter's death. Now this, he said, now this Jesus said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God, because by the time John writes this gospel, Peter's died, and he's been martyred. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So he's saying to Peter, you couldn't do it before, but the day is coming when you're going to be able to lay down your life for me. You could not agape me four or five or six or however many nights ago, but the day is coming when you will agape me. And what's the difference? And when we look in the book of Acts and we see Peter and he's out boldly preaching the gospel. And they say to him, we're going to drag you away into prison if you don't stop. And he says, I'm not stopping. They drag him, they throw him into prison. And he still doesn't stop. The Lord breaks him out of prison. He carries on. And they pull him in front of the judge. And they say, look, you have to stop preaching this stuff. And he said, you tell me if it's better to obey you guys or God. Like, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to keep preaching. I don't care what you do to me. And the day came where they did crucify Peter. 
And tradition has it that he said when he was going to be crucified, hang me upside down. I do not want to be crucified. I don't deserve to be crucified in the same way as my Lord was. And so Peter did give up his life. He did sacrifice his life. He did agape the Lord. What was the difference? And I think the difference was the Holy Spirit. Before, Peter did not have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did not come until Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection. And so 50 days after at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled all those who were in that room, and subsequently all who believe in the name of Jesus and who are identifying with Jesus, he gives to them his Holy Spirit. And it's not until we actually have God within that we can love with the kind of love that God has, which is agape love. It was after Peter had God within that he could agape love. And so that's why I think sometimes when we go, yeah, I, th I think I can, but I'm not sure, or, you know, we don't really pass the test, I think sometimes we rely on our phileo love for the Lord and not on that agape love, which is his Holy Spirit working through us. That is powerful. And when Peter was able to rely on the Holy Spirit, then things happened. He did not deny the Lord again. He was strong. He was brave. He was straightforward. He was obedient. And he was sacrificial in his love for the Lord. That was agape love. And it's because the Lord was within. And so we see um, this wonderful picture of what happens. And John explains to us. And then we see later Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, tells us what Peter was like, this new Peter, this Peter with the Holy Spirit within. It's not that we become God but God really, really does work within us. He says that he abides in us as we abide in him, and he abides in us through his Holy Spirit. So it's his Holy Spirit that actually teaches us to love like that. It actually doesn't come from us. We're capable of love because we're made in the image of God. Even before we know Christ, we're capable of love for sure. But agape love is a special kind of love that's only a God love. And that love is the love that God has for all mankind when Jesus came and was crucified. When he died on the cross, when he died in our place as a substitute, and he says to us, I am doing this for you. Now you come to me and you take on what I have done here. Because he says, just like to Peter, it's not just sort of this automatic thing that gets applied to everybody. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Jesus says to all of us, to each one of us, individually, not as a group, do you love me? And depending on how you answer that question, changes everything, just like it did for Peter. And the Lord does the rest. So I challenge you with that. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you phileo him? Do you agape the Lord? Let's pray. 
Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us. We thank you for how you, um, you don't just talk to this big group of us, but you talk to each one of us individually, and you love each one of us individually. And although you came and you died for all mankind, you then come to each one of us and you ask us if we love you. And Lord, I pray that each of us might be able to say, yes, Lord, we love you. And that we will follow you to the ends of the earth. So Lord, we would just ask that you would move in us and that we would have that understanding of that kind of a love. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I just ask you to stand, and um, I'm just going to read from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.